Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast, for two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Meg is a nutritional therapy practitioner, and she works with women to help regulate hormones and period health, educate on the gut-brain connection, and help find root cause solutions to digestive issues. She grew up playing sports her whole life, dabbled in some marathons and triathlons, bodybuilding, and Olympic lifting. Also, she suffered from disordered eating and poor body image. It was through working on hormones that she found holistic health and learned how much food can support and heal the body. The knowledge she's learned through experience and school helped gain a new outlook on defining beauty. She deeply believes that our body talks back in symptoms and also through our menstrual cycle. It's the only way our body can communicate. The goal she strives with each of her clients is to help them become body literate and achieve long-lasting health by getting to the root cause solutions and education. Welcome, Meg. <laughs> That's a long bio. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> well, it's awesome. I mean, I love all of it. Just your body does give you signals and you can choose to ignore them or dig in and learn from them. So I love it. Absolutely. And so Meg was a group leader when I was doing the nutritional therapy school in Chicago. So she was, she had already graduated from the program, but was coming back to help teach and guide other students, which was amazing to have her as a resource. And she did a talk for our class uh, towards the end of the program on hormone health and cycles. And I just was so excited to talk to her again about it because it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's an author um, of a book called Roar. It's a, um, it is a, what is she? She's like an Ironman coach for women. And she says this quote that I absolutely love that women are not small men. And I mean, she's like known for saying that, that quote. And I find it so fascinating because when we're talking about nutrition and health, most of the studies have been done on men. So to be able to talk about hormone health and women is actually just one, a little new age, which is unfortunate. And two, um, it's so imperative because women are not small men. Newsflash, yeah, right? I think that's amazing. Cause one of my friends actually works in clinical research and, pretty much none of the studies were done at all. Like you take a prescription, it was never tested on a woman to see that it even benefits the the disease that you're taking it for. And the reason doctors give around that is they don't want to deal with the cycle changes. So there's wow. extra um, variable in women's health where they might feel different at different phases in the month. And these scientists decided like, oh, I just don't want to deal with that. I'm only going to test on men, which as women, I'm sure sounds insane. And, you know, we're getting the raw end of the deal on a lot of that, but 
So yeah. she's a big advocate for like having women involved in the healthcare system because yeah, we're not, if it works on a man, it probably also works on you, but we're not going to test it and we're just going to prescribe it to you. <laughs> so. so this is an interesting fact. So how birth control came about, they actually tested it on men first. And then men were like, nah, this is not for me. I do not feel good on it. And then they were like, well, women, let's, let's give it to you. And women were like, all right, fine. Like we'll muster up the strength and we'll, we'll push through, but it does make me feel a little uncomfortable to not have a, have a period bleed. So they're like, that's fine. We'll give you a pill bleed. So even in the terms of, of birth control, the uh, genesis of it was on men. And so I, I find that fascinating. So was it for something else or it was for birth control? (sighs) No, I, I, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was for. I think there, I mean, there's, I think there's a few different reasons that it came about. So I I couldn't guess, I wouldn't want to guess it wrong, but I do know for a fact that they did. I mean, I think it was birth control, but there was um, most definitely another reason for it. And um, they, they first initially decided that men should take it. And then men were like, nah, so yeah, let's, let's give it to the women. They, they don't mind. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Cause we will, we'll toughen up. I mean, I love my husband dearly, but, and he's a big fit man, but if he gets sick, he's on the couch, you know, like women are like, all right, what else can we get done? You know, it's just kind of within our nature to push through, which is, um, not good, but. And take care of ourselves and our babies and our sick husbands. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're basically superior, more superior species. You know, I didn't say it, but I'm not going to disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of why I think it's great that we can talk about the menstrual cycle because, I mean, I often say this, that the menstrual cycle is, it really does make us more superior because it will give us an insight to um, our health and how our health is changing throughout our cycle and uh, any changes that we implement, meaning like the way that we eat, um, the way that we sleep, it can show up in our cycle and we can see if we're either promoting health and our body is flourishing or if, you know, what we're doing is, is, is too much on our body and it's, and it's too stressful. And we can see that in our, in our cycle, which is why I promote so much body literacy, because if someone comes to their doctor with period issues or heavy bleeding or acne, and they're, they're usually prescribed the pill, but the pill is, you know, a bandaid to cover up what's going on hormonally and, and usually tied to the gut. And, um, and they're not, they're not learning to, you know, calm down the symptoms and get to the quote, you know, root cause or most likely causes. We're kind of just bandaided over and, you know, continuing on with our life, um, versus learning, you know, again, our body literacy, how our body works, or even if they want to get on birth control because they, they want to prevent pregnancy. Well, we're only, able to get pregnant, you know, five or six days out of the month, you know, we ovulate one day, but we're, we're in our fertile window five to six days out of the, out of the month. So it's not like, I mean, we're pretty controllable women. We're pretty intelligent, right? Like if we need to be careful and use other resources, like a condom withdrawal method or whatever, we can do so. Um, you know, but we're not taught that we're just taught like, you know, you can get pregnant all the time and there's no way to fix your hormones except for getting on birth control. So that's why, you know, body literacy to me is just empowering. Well, yeah. And the birth control, it might mask the symptoms and make you feel better, but those underlying hormone issues are still going to be there whenever you decide to get off birth control. And sometimes worse. Yeah. And that's where I feel like a lot of women expect to just come off the pill and be able to get pregnant right away. And that's not the case, especially if you went on it for some sort of 
issue other than contraception. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to give a little bit about your background, like how you became so interested in women's health? Is this something you knew you were interested in before studying nutrition? Yeah. So my heart has always been uh, like towards women. I've always cared about women. And I think it's because I really struggled with an eating disorder and disordered eating habits from a young age and body image. And I just, I, I hated the idea of being told like what beauty was and how it should be defined. And, you know, I could, this is a total other conversation that I could go into, but, um, beauty, what health was defined was, was a body type. And I really hated that. So anyway, it really like pulled my heartstrings to be wanting to make the change of in women's health. And eventually what happened was I, um, played all these sports and did all these things. And, um, I was on birth control on and off throughout, you know, my adult life as a lot of women are. And I knew that, you know, innately it did, it never felt right. Like I would have to get on all these different birth controls because it would make me emotional. I would bleed all the time. There's always a there's always something going on. So innately I was like, this is not something I want to be on long-term. And, um, I, got off of it. I read the book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, which is an incredible like introductory book to body literacy and understanding your symptoms. I'm sorry, your cycle. But it teaches you how to take your basal body temperature. So when you're doing anything, so Taking Charge of Your Fertility teaches fertility awareness method. And I was using the fertility awareness method to understand my body when I was uh, ovulating and when I wasn't. And during that time, I was, uh, um, I, I had noticed by taking my basal body temperature, my oral temp, that I had uh, low, uh, low temperatures, really low temperatures, like concerning low temperatures. And so I went to the OBGYN and I said, I think I have some thyroid issues. I've been taking my temperature. It's really low. And they're like, okay, we'll do a blood work. You know, of course they didn't do a full thyroid panel. They did just a TSH. And then, um, I luckily had somebody in my life that was like, there's a thing called a functional medicine doctor. I would, I would push more into that. So, um, I went to go see a functional medicine, medicine doctor. They did my whole workup and turns out I did have subclinical hypothyroid and a bunch of other things going on. So all of this information of like, Oh my gosh, like one, I've always had a heart for like women's health. And then you know, I started to use the fertility awareness method. And I learned that through the fertility awareness method that I can actually um, really see how my body's functioning and my thyroid levels, et cetera, et cetera. Like I've got to take all of this and I've got to put it in practice. And I started researching and figuring out, you know, where can I do this? Is there a thing? And um, I came across, you know, the NTA, which is where we both went to school and I decided to get a go back to school and nutrition, and then through my own research, uh, I've become a huge advocate for um, using the menstrual cycle for women's health. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's sad that I did. I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility probably about nine months before getting pregnant with my son, and just reading that, I'm like, why do they not teach young girls this? Because I, I remembered back and I was pretty health aware, like going to an acupuncturist and saying, you know, they ask you a lot of 
questions about your whole body and everything that's going on. And I remember saying like, oh, I've had a lot of discharge lately. I don't know what that is. And I thought maybe it would mean mm. something to them. I didn't realize that that happened once a month. <laughs> like yeah. you, you'd think you'd put that together, especially people who are aware of your body, but it was, um, yeah, once you learn what to look for and I'd love to walk through that. Yeah. Because I'm sure people are probably like, what is all that? So first of all, the fertility, so the book taking charge of your fertility teaches a fertility awareness method, meaning it's, it is not to be confused with the natural planning method, which, um, pretty much says that you ovulate every single day in the fort, or I'm sorry, every single month in the 14th, you do not always ovulate the same day. So taking charge of, of your fertility is a book that teaches you how to learn your body using the fertility awareness method. So um, in the fertility awareness method, you learn different parts of your cycle. So some people will say you have four phases of this cycle. I just like to break it up in two because it's easier for people that don't are hearing this for the first time to understand. So I will say that you have your period bleed to ovulation. That is your follicular phase. So obviously everybody knows what your period bleed is, right? So you have your period bleed and then you have some days where um, you you may have dry days, meaning no cervical mucus, no discharge, nothing in your underwear. And then you approach ovulation and estrogen rises and you start to notice a little bit more discharge or cervical mucus um, in in your underwear. And this is really good. What the cervical mucus job is, is to... Um, your vagina is very acidic. So we'll actually um, get the correct pH for your vagina. And its job is to capture the sperm and take it where it needs to go, feed it, do all those things. So your follicular phase is the period bleed to the ovulation. And you'll notice around ovulation time, that cervical mucus. Then you step into your luteal phase, which is actually confirmed by a basal body temperature shift. So you'll have something like a 97.4, which is ideal. A healthy body will stay around 97.4 to 97.6 in the follicular phase. And then confirmed ovulation is a rise in basal body temperature. So that could look like something like 98.4 to 98.6 approaching that luteal phase. So confirmed ovulation means that you're stepping into your second phase of your cycle, the luteal phase, which is um, when you are in that two-week period before your menstrual cycle. And you can really use your menstrual cycle um, charts by one, I I like to put mine in an app and then I look at it in the chart um, by seeing how healthy your body is. So if that luteal phase is shorter, then that's a good sign you have low progesterone and your thyroid's not functioning optimally. If it's longer, that's probably a good sign you have too much estrogen going on and and or you didn't ovulate. So it's so empowering to be able to understand um, where you're at in your cycle and um, confirming ovulation. And it's so important that we do ovulate, which birth control doesn't allow because that's what keeps our bones healthy and strong. A lot of women are known to get osteoporosis, but one of the ways that I, I really challenge is, oh yeah, women may have a higher risk of osteoporosis, but it's also because we've been taking birth control, which suppresses ovulation. So that's really important to note. Um, and then just a side note, when I, I remember I was talking to a client one time and they were like, 
you know, I, I've never had cervical mucus. Well, I found out that they had been in birth control for 10 years. So when they got off of it to really learn body literacy, they noticed cervical mucus for the first time. So if you have never experienced cervical mucus, again, what will happen is, is that you'll have um, a, and you've been on birth control, it'll suppress it. So you, you may not notice it until after you, you get off of a birth control. But during that ovulation window, I want to, I want to make this clear is that you only ovulate one day, but any sign of cervical mucus would be a, a, would mean that you're in a fertile window and a chance to get pregnant. Most of the time it lasts for anywhere from two to six days. And so if you were trying to get pregnant, anytime you were have cervical mucus, that would be a go time. Or if you were avoiding it and using it as birth control, then that's when you would want to abstain. But you cannot get pregnant without cervical mucus um, in that fertile window. That's that's the only time. So um, otherwise, the acidity of the vagina is way too acidic and will kill off the sperm. So it's the most effective birth control is understanding how your body works. I love that. Yeah. Cause we actually used it. Once I learned that we used it for birth control until we were ready. Mm-hmm. And then we used it to get pregnant, which, um, worked. did you do basal body temperature or just cervical mucus? I did the temperature back then yeah, and it was really interesting. So I think it has to, is it has to raise by half a degree? Is that what they say to confirm population? Um, I want to say like four actually, but maybe, maybe not. I, I, I can't, I don't remember right now off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. And the apps will kind of, I used Kendra and Ava, both of those apps at different times, and they'll kind of give you that, like your fertile days and your, uh, it's not perfect, but I, I found it really helpful to just yeah. while you're learning your cycle to do that charting. Yeah. Cause anything can throw off ovulation. So stress, food sensitivities, poor gut, uh, you know, gut health, anything can, that's why it's a woman never rarely ovulates the same day. Like I ovulated the 14th last month and the 16th this month. So it's just kind of like, it depends on, you know, your body just never always ovulates the same day. So, or rarely does. Yeah. And I was really tracking before I got pregnant with my son and I ovulated pretty much every month on day 17. So I did have a shorter luteal phase, which I was kind of concerned about. Cause I think if that's too short, your body can't, uh, like the egg can't implant cause you're already bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little worried about that, but it was, you know, I got pregnant, but then after having him, I just kind of went back to assuming I ovulated on day 17 again and we were trying to get pregnant again. And I'm like, no, I should pay attention to this. And it shifted way to like day 12 or 13. And as soon as I realized that, and we started trying for my daughter earlier in the month, we got pregnant right away. Um, So it really does make a difference. Like it sounds like it's not that big of a difference, but the few days, especially (laughs) trying to get pregnant to prevent, or prevent, yeah. you know, you don't oh, want yeah. to miss that. <laughs> yeah, you're not <laughs> yeah. like, that's big. It is the most effective, but it's the most effective by, um, you know, how how well you are understanding it. And I always say this, I'm an advocate for it, but I'm not an instructor for it. There's instructors for it uh, that teach everything on that. I'm an advocate, meaning I utilize it as a tool along with my nutritional therapy. And I, being a woman that has a menstrual cycle, I have some authority on how to explain it, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I've been learning more about the cycle. Like you talked about it, but I feel like I've just been following more people and more women are talking about uh, kind of the cycle from an empowerment perspective. Like we have these different abilities and different phases and, um, but I haven't had a cycle (laughs) since I got pregnant, obviously. So I'm excited. How empowering for your daughter. 
that she yes. won't screw up to think it's so gross and weird and icky. But in fact, um, uh, uh, understanding it and be able to use it to her advantage. I, I know you had asked me beforehand to kind of explain the phases and what can happen hormonally. And we can briefly talk about that because depending on where you're at in your cycle, you truly can manipulate it to your advantage. So like in the, that period bleed phase, um, when you're on, obviously on your period, um, it's your body, your hormones are lower and you shift internally. And people will say like, this is a really good time to like self-reflect. Like, you know, you kind of get raw and real with yourself and it's a time to like self-reflect in the most loving kind way and make adjustments and see where you're at. And, um, a lot of people find like journaling here and just getting in touch with like the emotional side that comes when hormones are, are lower and using that to your advantage. Um, I even in business, people will have started to use uh, your men- their menstrual cycle in order to uh, like entrepreneurs are preparing for a meeting. And during that time of the, their menstrual cycle, they'll, they'll start to reflect and be like, okay, where am I being true to my authentic self? Like, am I doing what I love? Have I compromised any of that? And even like exercise wise, like doing more yoga and gentleness and walking instead of like, you know, going to the gym and be like, why am I not doing as good? Well, your hormones are low, girl. Like, that's why. Like, be kind to your body, like calm down and, and relax and be and let your, you know, when your hormones are low, like that's not the time to push your body's not going to recover as fast. So then after your period, then you go up towards ovulation and, and hormones are going high, like I have, uh, I do check-ins with my clients and I always ask them like, um, you know, how's your sex drive? Is your sex drive high? Because during this time, your sex drive should be high. Or if you're single, like, are, do you feel really sexy? Do you notice the opposite sex a little bit more? Um, and your, your hormones and your estrogen and testosterone start to rise here. So, you know, in, in the, in the fitness world and you would really want to like try something different. Like if you've always wanted to try CrossFit, like your body could really handle it at this time and your body would recover fast and your body would respond well. So like utilizing that for your fitness would be, that would be so wise then and they'll actually time their interviews and their um any recordings that they have to do because their hair is a little bit more plump your skin is a little bit more fuller like everything you know you you know on your good hair days your good hair days are usually around ovulation because your hormones are so high so I find that to be so fascinating and imagine that empowerment as a woman and then you step into your luteal phase in the first half of your luteal phase your body's still kind of like riding high with that progesterone and your hormones a little higher and you can do like more hit type workouts maybe more cardio workouts um, you may be able to give presentations because you're able to think clearly, speak well, have energy and boldness to present or whatever. Um, and then you step into your luteal phase, which is like, I'm sorry, your second half of your luteal phase, which is about a week before your period. And an unhealthy body would respond like they're bloating, heavy cramping, PMS symptoms. Um, uh, but a healthy body would, would, would respond in like, a little more self-focused again. And uh, maybe you start like to clean at this time or organize things a little bit more. Um, and you're more sensitive to things. So you're able to really get a good perspective of, you know, maybe business-wise, how other people may be feeling or looking at things and being able to structure your business at, at that way, uh, in that way with that mindset. And 
allowing yourself to uh, line up with that. And then it workouts, like I said, just being really kind, yoga, walking girl the week before your period. And you know, you don't want to push yourself. You want it. Your hormones are about to drop down. They're already on its way dropping down. Like allow your body to just focus on, um, recovering and, 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 um, resting. I mean, that's, that's truly what our bodies are meant to, meant to do. And I think that, you know, again, talking about this with your daughter, like it can be so powerful. And we have these uh, unique ways as women to kind of tap into these things, uh, these hormonal shifts to use it to our advantage where men are just pretty basic, you know, I love them, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like they're just kind of basic, basic boys. Well, yeah, I feel like thinking about it from this empowerment perspective is just amazing because you can, you can look at it as like, uh, I have my period coming. I feel crappy. Like, you know, this, I wish I wasn't a woman. I wish, or I wish I didn't have a cycle, like that kind of attitude around it. And I think we see a lot of that, like your period is this burden, but I think being on the other side of having children, obviously it's a huge blessing from, from that ability to be able to have a cycle and bring children into the world. But even just from this, I'm still in the corporate world. And this idea of thinking about like a project management cycle, like you said, like planning more during your period bleed and then starting projects in your follicular phase and then doing all the detailed and close up work. Like I've read about that and I'm like, I want to work for a company run by women because it would be so cool to be able to talk about this, but there's no way, like I can't even talk about pumping at my job. Like it's all this Mm. taboo, um, and, you know, not to get into certain presidents we have, but he's talked about like it being gross, like talking about women pumping mm-hmm. at work or, you know, like, no, lactation mm-hmm. is not a dirty word. It's not <laughs> like we're doing something amazing for our children and don't make it any harder on us. Yeah. Yeah. Women no, have I, been pushed down uh, in so many ways in terms of our health from the beginning of our conversation with how we're tested and treated for pharmaceutical or supplements to our menstrual cycle cycle and feeding our women or feeding our children. It's absurd. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this dirty thing. And I know it was, and my mom would be horrified, you know, like she, she won't let me nurse my daughter around people because it's you know Mm. oh that's that's gross and it's like no why I'm why make it harder on us but our generation has that ability to say let's not make these things dirty or bad or it's it's part of being healthy and being a woman yeah (laughs) so absolutely I love that so much um so do you want to talk about like a typical like cycle like the length of the cycle. I think you touched on that, but, um. yeah, yeah, we can, we can absolutely do that. Um, so I mean, a period bleed is you want it to be like no less than three days. Usually if it's less than three days, then it's, it's a good sign that you're, um, you need a little bit more support, uh, hormonally, so a lot of people, so if you're, if you're bleeding less than two days, I would say, or less than three days, rather, I would say like, Hey guys, let's, let's look at your health and see how you're doing and uh, make sure that everything's working the way that you're supposed to. But at the same time, you also don't want to be bleeding any more than 
seven days, right? You shouldn't be bleeding for two weeks straight. So that's that's also a sign of hormonal dysfunction. So on average, a period bleed, a healthy, normal period bleed. And, and I do want to make this comment that because it's normal to you doesn't mean it's healthy. So these are the standards of what health are, what I'm about to say. So a period bleed would be anywhere from three to seven days. That's healthy. Um, average being around five for most women. Uh, and uh, from your one period bleed to the next period bleed, which is your cycle length, the average is not 28 days, it's 29 days. And so really, I see women doing well with anywhere from 24 days to 35 days, that being the most optimal. So if it's a little bit over, you know, 36, I would say, let's, let's see individually how you're, how you're doing. But anything more than that, I'm really looking at like, are you, uh, do you have too much um, estrogen going on in the body? How's your liver detoxifying? What foods could you be causing that are inflammatory? Um, is there a PCOS or something like that? So menstrual cycle length, 24 to 35 days, on average around 29 days. So that follicular phase from the period to ovulation, an average of 10 to 23 days is pretty normal. So from that, yeah, so that makes sense. And then on average, about 15 days until um, ovulation. So that's where people will say, I ovulated on day 14. Well, you can ovulate on day 10, you know, 11, like you said, I was on 12. I'm on 16, still totally within uh, appropriate ranges, but on average, it's uh, 15, uh, day 15, but anywhere from 10 to 23. Um, the cervical mucus, that pre-ovulatory, th- those, um, uh, the, the, the fertile window I was talking about is anywhere from two to seven days. So, um, I always be, I'm always a little more careful since postpartum and my sense uh, will be two in July. I'm actually on average, mostly eight days of cervical mucus. So when we were, um, when we were avoiding pregnancy during those eight days, anytime I saw cervical mucus, it was like off guard, don't touch me, or let's figure out a different way to, um, uh, you know, enjoy our sex life. Um, and then ovulation, you only ovulate one day. So you only drop the egg one day, but that fertile window is, um, what, what I was just explaining. And then your luteal phase, which is after ovulation, um, should be anywhere from 10 to 16 days on average. It's about 13. Um, and so it's, if you're lower than 10 days in your luteal phase, so from ovulation to period bleed, then if you're around eight days, nine days, I'm looking at low thyroid function, low progesterone. If you're more than 16 days, I'm looking at too much estrogen. Uh, PCOS, um, or um, yeah, confirm of ovulation. Like, was there too much stress going on? Did you take an antibiotic? Did you travel? Anything that could have pushed back ovulation. So we're, you know, you don't ever, you don't ever uh, diagnose yourself off of one chart. So like, I didn't ovulate a few charts ago, and I was like, oh, that's it. What's going on in my life? Uh, I was freaking out, right? And like, this is what I do for a living the next chart I ovulated. So I always need to remind myself like, and my clients, Hey, let's look at a consistent chart. Is it three charts, four charts where we're consistently seeing these symptoms of low luteal phase or longer luteal phase or, you know, um, heavier period bleed. And then let's make interpretations after that. Okay. And just after having a baby, is there any kind of normal around that? I've, I've heard of a lot of people who still might not have a cycle back a couple years after 
having a baby, but I think everybody is still nursing that is talking about that. Maybe not having their period back. It's, it's super interesting. And I don't spend a lot of time, uh, looking at postpartum and your menstrual cycle, but, um, I didn't get my period back till I was stopped after a year. Um, but I have, you know, friends that are still nursing and do have their period black back. So I'm really not sure there may be a very, you know, shining bright answer to that. I'm not sure, but you're exactly right that people can get their periods back beforehand or when they're done nursing, but you do have to be careful because nursing, um, certain amount of times can, uh, if you're, I think it's up to like nine days, you may know this better than I do. You are not, it is suppressing ovulation, but, um, but at some point when you start introducing real food, um, then, and even though you're still nursing, you, you, your body can ovulate, which is why it's so important to do the basal body temperature and, um, and make sure that you are still keeping track of your, um, ovulation or not, because you may still be breastfeeding, not have a period, but you can absolutely still ovulate. Yeah. And that's something my midwife actually said, we just had my six week appointment and my daughter's sleeping really well, gaining really well. And she's like, well, that's good. But if she's sleeping six hour stretches, there's a good chance you'll, your period will come back sooner than, um, than if she was, you know, nursing multiple times at night. But, yeah. Um, so I, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how the thyroid links into your cycle health? Yeah. So, um, I think it's Dr. Brada Barnes, is it? I'll have to get the name for you, but, um, he wrote a book on hypothyroidism and he, and, and, and there's lots of studies. It's, it's not just him independently. He just spends a lot of time talking about it, but, um, I challenge anybody, man or woman to get their first morning temperature, um, to see how, uh, their body is running. Um, so things to consider one, it, you have to do at the same time every day. If you're using an oral thermometer, it needs to be in your mouth for 10 minutes before pressing on. Mm. Um, if you're using anything like the temp drop or the Ava bracelet, um, the Ava bracelet due to where its placement is on your wrist will run a little bit lower. And then the temp drop on your arm due to its placement may run higher or lower. Um, but your temperature lower than 97.4 is an indication, they would say, of hypothyroid. Now, obviously, as a nutritional therapist, we can't treat and diagnose, but I look at that as another symptom to work on optimizing because when we have a uh, lower basal body temperature, we know that our body is running lower. Everything is kind of sluggish and run down. And so that's directly how your thyroid and your... And your um, and your menstrual cycle can go hand in hand. And, and we were talking about this, which I can, you know, I mean, you know me, I've already been talking your ear off. I can go in circles about this, but I mean, this is where we have to really look at like, as if you do show that you have some lower basal body temperature, um, then you want to make sure that you are supporting your thyroid, even if your labs are quote normal and, and defining what normal is from conventional to functional medicine is, is incredibly different and define very differently. In example, uh, conventional medicine would say TSH above 5.0 would be considered healthy. And, or I'm sorry, 5.0 would be considered hypothyroid. But a functional medicine doctor would say anything of a TSH from 2.0 would be considered hypothyroid. 
And in my practice, when I see anybody around a 1.5 to 1.7, I'm really knowing that their body's not working optimally. And even if they're quote normal and functional medicine, I'm really supporting those progesterone levels um, and that pituitary. Um, and uh, so it's really important to 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 always think back of like how am I how are my symptoms? So um, you know, climate, if you're living in Florida, that can obviously impact your, your basal body temperature. Or if you're using a, a heated blanket, that can impact your basal body temperature. So even checking in with like my hands are always cold, my feet are always cold, and my temperature is just around that line. You know, you want to support the thyroid and um and really when I'm talking about thyroid, I'm talking about your metabolic state. Um, and I'm not talking about metabolism in terms of losing weight and running fast, although that's really, really, you know, can be really great if your body's running fast and, um, you know, working the most optimally. Um, or I, I'm sorry, I, I care about the basal body temperature, not for just losing weight. I care about the basal body temperature and your thyroid and metabolism because all of that shows that your um, your body's running the way that it should be, including your immune system is running high the way that it should be your digestive system, which heavily relies on your metabolism. The thyroid controls every metabolic function in the body. So I don't want it to be here. Like when you hear me, I don't need it to be confused of I'm talking about weight loss and metabolism for weight loss. I'm sure that is a benefit, but I'm talking about, um, your body being able to run optimally. And again, immune system, digestive system, your, your ability to, uh, your brain to, to recall words, clarity, all of that needs to be, have a high metabolic state in order for your body to respond. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And we've talked okay. a bit about thyroid actually on like a mental health episode because low thyroid can really lead to depressive symptoms too. When you're not mm -hmm. running optimally, you don't have this energy. Um, so we've talked about this, but this is, this is awesome. Um, cause it, it seems hard to boost. Like it, it can be, it can be. And this is where I may get a little, uh, you may get a little feedback in your comments and I apologize. You can just send them my way. <laughs> um, so first of all, when they just pass the TSH, that's a pituitary hormone. That is not the active form of thyroid hormone. So I'm really talking about, I'm also talking about, I should say, your T4 to T3, which is 80% of that conversion is located in your liver. And so we really want that conversion to happen happen optimally. And what, how we need that T4 to T3 conversion to happen is we need a high metabolic state to be able to make that, um, you know, uh, conversion happen quickly the way that it should. So supporting your thyroid and your um, metabolic state is you really want to look at your diet, the food that you're eating. Obviously, stress levels are huge too. So I have, in my own personal health, have been really exploring taking out polyunsaturated fats can be really, uh, really big for this, supporting your thyroid. Because even though nuts and seeds, when I'm talking about polyunsaturated fats, I'm talking a lot about the oils, which we know to stay out of our diet, canola oil, um, and all the other sap oil, like all the other oils that we know to be bad, um, or, you know, not promote health promoting. Um, but I'm also talking about nuts and seeds and fish oils and your beloved omega-3s and omega-6s because 
they're very uh, great at, um, at storing energy, right? That's what we know them for. But every time we have to store energy, not be able to quickly go through them, our body's slowing down because it's storing that energy, right? We want our metabolism, right? We want to keep our body going, 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 going. But if we promote these um, foods all the time, it's slowing our metabolism down. So instead, what I like to recommend is high quality dairy. Dairy has protein, carbs, and fat in it. It has um, different nutrients that support the T4 to T3 conversion in it. Eating foods uh, that are not always high muscle meats. So like we often eat a lot of muscle meats. We're ta- I'm talking about, um, you know, chicken breast, uh, they're, um, just, you know, bison, beef, but also what can be helpful is bone broth, gelatin, again, milk. Um, those are all highly, uh, supportive metabolic proteins that can stay in your diet and help with the thyroid and the metabolism. Um, and not just put so much stress to always slow down to break it, uh, break these foods down, these nutrients down to be, uh, utilized. So I, I, to me, my, my, the biggest thing that I've been doing is, um, is bringing, taking kind of backing off on all of your nuts and seeds and those added, you know, if we're not drinking, you know, dairy, uh, then we're drinking an almond milk or, you know, oat milk, all these things that are harder for our body to digest. So we're kind of backing off of that and introducing quote, more real food, like a cow's dairy or a, um, goat's milk. And if people say, man, I, I respond, I react, I have lactose intolerance. Um, then I would really promote I would really suggest that they start doing things to one lower estrogen, which keeps thyroid down. That could be something like a raw carrot every day. A raw carrot is binds to estrogen very uniquely to help secrete it and get it out. Um, even if their estrogen levels are normal, estrogen can get stuck on the t- in the tissues and, um, uh, carrots are really, really beneficial for helping that out. And then, um, what else is there? Liver health. So um, really supporting it with like high quality beets and castor oil packs. If you're not pregnant and, and nursing, castor oil packs can be really beneficial because that 80, 80% of the T4 to T3 conversion is, is in that. So um, those are all the kind of the tricks that I do to support the thyroid, support the menstrual cycle in that way. Sleeping, blue light, blacking glasses, all can be suppressing to the, the thyroid. Um, um, and then obviously supporting digestion so that your body doesn't stay in that stressed state. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to get my hands on some of the research you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's a little challenging. I, it's, you know, this is why I always say whenever I have nutritional therapists that ask me for help, I'm like, you have to read what makes you uncomfortable because that may very well change your practice. And that's, that's kind of how I run. And not that the, the most nutritional therapists would always push for real food, always push for introducing in dairy. But sometimes we forget and we go so far out, off of these inflammatory foods and keeping them out that we over overdo our, um, like I said, the almond milks and the other non-dairy products. And, and that's where we kind of miss out on. Yeah, it is hard to challenge your own thoughts. Like you're so sure that dairy's, you know, I, I came from a paleo background. So, uh, and I actually started making sourdough recently and it's like, I've been saying bread is bad for so long. And now all of a sudden it's like, you know what? It's, it's good for me right now. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and that's something I didn't even get to touch on. Like 
the other thing that you need in your to keep a healthy thyroid and metabolism is eating enough carbohydrates, especially us as women. And I think that some of the best form of carbohydrates are fruits, um, just simple fructose and sugars that don't put stress in the digestive system and can be uh, quickly utilized. So like orange juice, whew, powerful. Um, you know, even doing, I do white, a tablespoon of white sugar in my coffee with some, uh, raw cow's milk and, you know, I'm good to go. Yeah. That's very different than I think we would have been a few years ago. Just a lot of, (laughs) and a lot of that is driven by again, men where they do the keto or the intermittent fasting. And it, it, it works differently for men than for women, uh, especially in terms of the stress response. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting to keep in mind. It does make it challenging though, that yeah, there's that extra aspect to it. And when the thyroid is actually goes low, right. Our thyroid controls every metabolic function in, in, in the system. So on our body. So when it runs low, who does it call on its generator, the adrenals. And the mm-hmm. adrenals will pump out lactic acid. The lactic acid will promote more uh, cortisol and adrenaline. And then we stay in this high adrenal state and then eventually just crash. And we're like, we've got to pr- fix our adrenals. We've got to fix our adrenal health, adrenal fatigue, HPA access dysfunction. Well, how do you think that happened in the first time? Go back to your, go back to your thyroid. Girl, pay attention to that thyroid. Support that thyroid. And then let's get the body working again so it doesn't have to rely on our generators. What happens if we just fix our ge- generator? Well, it's going to have the same issue and we're going to keep going back in these chronic circles. So I, I, you know, I find a lot of practitioners are just missing this. Yeah. And that's, that's something that was really driven with the NTA program is go back to what's causing it. Let's not look at Mm -hmm. a symptom. And so I just love that approach. Let's, let's keep going further up and fix the source, source of the problem. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Well, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with people? I don't think so. We covered a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm nervous to get the backlash on some people. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't take fish oil and eat nuts and seeds. But um, I am happy to to always share my research. It's not mine. It's just books that I read and and research that I read. But no, I think this is great. I would just encourage you if it feels overwhelming, you know, get with an admitted instructor for learning body literacy or work with somebody that can use it like a tool, um, like I do and don't give up. It's not gross. It's not weird. Um, every season of healing can take time. And, um, and that is, I think that's, that's, uh, you know, something that we have to keep in the back of our head. And then always remember that health is not defined by a body image. Health is defined on having a healthy sex drive, being able to poop every day, having energy, not relying on anything to pick you up but to really just um, have a natural energy and boldness in, in your unique calling and personality. And uh, as women, we get lost in, in defining uh, health as a body image. And, and, and that's, that's not it. So put, challenge yourself for more. I love it. Well, where can people find you? And I know uh, before you say it, she drops so much amazing information on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So follow her there, but where else can people find you? Yeah, my Instagram is Meg underscore Langston. Uh, so M-E-G underscore L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N. But other than that, I sometimes do a newsletter. I have 
I have an assistant who has been pushing me and challenging me and trying to help me grow uh, in so many ways. So I do have a course that's coming out soon um, on a lot of what I'm talking about that will be available. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. I have women all over the world from the UK to Canada to literally all over. Um, so yeah, most of the the places right now is Instagram, which I know is not the best, you know, business strategy, which is why I had to hire somebody because I like to learn not to, (laughs) not to, you know, think about the most creative way for, to run a business. So. And your website, right? Yes. Thank you. It's just meglinkston.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was, this was amazing. So thank you. you. And talk to everybody next week. Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you like what you heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.